Uh, let's turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. And you'll find this on page 1101. 1101. Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read from verse 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Peter ran up to the chariot. And he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Phew. Gets in the chariot. The eunuch was reading the passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer, it is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up, out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is God's word. Keep this open in front of you, please. Now, how do you view unexpected change? Uh, your life is, is coasting along in your regular routines when suddenly someone or something kind of just bursts in and, and wrecks what you plan to do. Throws everything off course. How do you find that? How do you respond? Are you irritated? Are you annoyed? Are you excited? Are you fearful? Are you expectant? What, what happens to you? If you're a highly organized individual, a task-orientated person, then this is a highly disturbing and distressing event. 
the day planner has been ruined. Some of you here, um, maybe a bit more disorganized, it's no big deal. You had no plan anyway. There was nothing to disturb. Whoa, the next thing. Now one factor that determines how you view life's uh, surprises and setbacks is our understanding of providence. Is life just completely random and chaotic? Or does the creator God who sustains and controls the events of our lives, is he involved? So when unexpected things kind of uh, throw, are thrown into our lives, is that sort of blind chance? Or is a loving creator interrupting our lives with a better plan? Well, consider this passage before us that we just read. Uh, over a number of weeks now, we've been considering how uh, this happy, close fellowship of the Jerusalem church got radically shaken up. The martyrdom of Stephen. The determined persecution of Saul, who systematically sought to destroy the church in Jerusalem, so fierce and widespread that the Jewish Christian believers flee from Jerusalem in all directions. Now, was that all by chance? Or was it a sovereign God at work, even in the suffering and pain? Well, the surprising answer is this. God was at work in all those apparent setbacks and difficulties and pain and suffering. God was at work. There were evil men who intended to stop the spread of the gospel, to remove the gospel, but God in his sovereign plan used their evil intent to, guess what, spread the gospel. Isn't that brilliant? He used the very people who were trying to squash it and kill it dead to actually spread it more, spread the fire out. And so more people are reached with the gospel and become Christians and, and in fact more churches are formed. Amazing. The great persecution led to a great dispersion, which led to greater evangelism, which made more Christians and more churches. Amazing. So the mission mandate of the risen Lord Jesus uh, to, uh, to go and take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, this is exactly what is going on as we read the book of Acts. And let's remind ourselves of this uh, glorious impact of the gospel uh, you know, that moved out from Judea out into Samaria. Look back at chapter 8, verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Look at what the gospel does. Isn't it beautiful what the gospel does? When the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, lost people believe and are saved. Enslaved people are delivered. Um, lives are transformed. Men and women are baptized. And people are astonished at the changes in their lives that Jesus Christ brings about. Through Philip's ministry, there is a spiritual revival that takes place, which leads to great joy in, in the city. What, what are the people of Edinburgh think is going to bring them great joy? You know, we think, well, it's the festivals, isn't it? 
It's the comedy festival. It's so funny. But of course, all these entertainments, what do they do? Well, they kind of temporarily distract people from the reality that life is short, that we're surrounded by disease and death, that sin is serious, and if we die without our sins forgiven, we face an eternity separated from God. And, and basically, all this entertainment culture, all the fun, all the jollity, is just to distract people from this reality. And the only message that will bring true, lasting, and eternal joy is the good news about Jesus. That's, that's what really brings joy to a city. To know that your sins can be forgiven. To know that you can be right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what an amazing revival Philip got to see as he proclaimed Jesus the Messiah. I mean think this was the man who was set apart to uh, help oversee the feeding of the widows earlier in Acts chapter 6. Uh, one reason for thinking this is not just sort of a standard institution of the deacons is that well, you know, look at this guy now. He's just a phenomenal evangelist and he's out reaching the people of Samaria. Amazing. And so it must have seemed a great surprise to Philip when he receives new orders from King Jesus. A very surprising appointment. Look at verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. What do you think it's like on the desert road? Lots of people on the desert road? It's called the desert road. Do you think there's a reason for that? A great revival in Samaria. And Philip is the person through whom God is bringing this incredible blessing. Surely, um, this is the time for him to continue preaching. To continue encouraging the growing uh, Christians and churches that are developing. Surely, Philip is strategically based in Samaria, a city full of people now receptive to the gospel. Leave that and go for a walk down a desert road? How strange God's guidance must have seemed to Philip and to the young church in Samaria. Uh, I've got to go now. Where are you going? Uh, I'm going down the desert road. Oh, is it something we said? I don't know. What do they think? They did, we don't know. We don't know what they thought. Um, and yet it's clearly God's guidance, isn't it? I don't think that one of the applications of this text is that we need to learn to be spiritually sensitive so we can know God's voice speaking to us. It's an angel. You don't get much clearer than an angel of the Lord, do you? Uh, an angel of the Lord gets him going at the start of the event, and by the end it seems as if the Spirit grabs him by the collar and whisks him off to the next opportunity. This is something very supernatural. This is uh, who's directing the events here. Is it Philip? No, it's, it's the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he is continuing his ministry from heaven through his spirit-filled disciples. It's the angel of the Lord who speaks to him. It's the Lord Jesus who's directing these events. The Lord Jesus has a strategy. He has a plan that he's working out. And this section reminds us that it, at times it can be a very surprising plan. He may lead us from a city to a, to a desert. He may lead us from a successful ministry to somewhere that we don't think is very strategic at all. Why? Well, because Jesus has a plan of who he wants to reach. Because unknown to Philip, bouncing down the road in his chariot is an African man who doesn't understand what Jesus has done for him. He's someone who's religious, but he's actually clueless. He's someone who's actually a wealthy man, but he's actually spiritually poor. And Jesus wants Philip to meet him. 
Because Jesus has a plan to take this bemused African man and bring him to a place where he has great joy. Great joy. That's what's going on here. But to effect that change, what does he need? He needs to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How's he going to hear the gospel? Well, he needs someone to go and share it with him. And that's why the angel of the Lord says to Philip, go south to the road. And he doesn't explain to him what, but he sends him on his way. So Philip doesn't know what the plan is. He just knows I've got to go, and off he goes. Now, it's quite remarkable, isn't it, that um, this person, I think, is some we would assume to be very unlikely to be receptive to the gospel. He's a foreigner. He's an Ethiopian. Now, probably a black African who looked totally different to Philip. He's a wealthy court official. He's a treasurer of the Queen of Ethiopia, which was a much larger landmass at the time than uh, even the Ethiopia that we know today. Uh, this is the chancellor of the exchequer. This is, um, this is George Osborne. African George Osborne. This is African Alistair Darling. Driving in his jag. And Philip is uh, told, uh, see that jag coming down? It's a chariot, it's not a jag. He didn't have jags. Get close to it. And so he runs alongside. Now for some reason, we wouldn't have thought really that this person would be interested or likely to become a Christian. I think we have in our minds, some people are likely to become Christians, some people are unlikely to become Christians. Would you have thought that this man would have become a Christian? Someone with influence, a wealthy man, foreigner, an important man. Do you think this is a likely candidate? Do you know what? Luke wants us to see something else about this man, and it's a bit uncomfortable. He's a eunuch. That's a bit personal, isn't it? Sharing that? Why is he sharing that? Well, it's interesting. As a Gentile, he would have been excluded uh, from the temple, certain temple courts. He'd have been excluded as a foreigner. But actually, because he was a eunuch, he would have been excluded. The men might want to cross their legs here, but in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, it says this, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. This man would have been doubly excluded. And yet, it turns out that the good news of Jesus is for him. Jesus wants Philip to bring the gospel to this man. It turns out the kingdom of God is for people just like this. He's not just interested in Jewish people um, in Jerusalem and Judea, uh, but he's also interested in the Samaritans, those who would have been viewed by some of the Jewish people as a sort of a mongrel race. Jesus cares about them, but not just them. He also cares about Ethiopians. He cares about foreigners from all over the nations. And isn't God's grace amazing? Look how incredible his providence is in the life of this Ethiopian official. How would you describe God's management style here? I think it's pretty hands-on, don't you? Before the creation of the world, God had ordained that this Ethiopian would hear the joyful good news about Jesus Christ. And so God puts it in his heart to make this huge journey to Jerusalem, 
God provides scriptures to get into his hands. And then God provides an evangelist to be running along his chariot along the desert roads to explain it to him. That's pretty remarkable, don't you think? Now, does God still work like that today? Do you think God still works like that today? Well, I think if we had time to go around this room and hear each people's stories, we would be amazed at God's providence in each person who's here as a Christian, in their story, what it took for them to hear the gospel, what it took for them to believe. We, I think it would be quite exciting. We're going to hear a little bit later about uh, how God's doing this in our church through the International Cafe and through the International Fellowship. So do you realize, uh, let's stop and think for ourselves, do you realize that this week ahead might not just be another dull, monotonous week? What are you expecting this week? Oh, another week. Another dull, monotonous week. Actually, this week, he might providentially put across our path someone for whom he wants us to connect them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe God is at work this week. That maybe something's going to happen. An unusual thing is going to happen in your life. And the reason it's going to happen, you're going to think, why is this unusual thing happening? Ah, Paul told me, God wants me to share the gospel with this person this week. Because God does that sort of thing. Maybe it's at Costa, maybe at the office, maybe at school gates. My question is, will you be watchful for those opportunities? Will you be ready and available? Will you be eager and obedient? Well, what do I mean? Well, look at this scriptural evangelism that Philip engaged in, in verse 29 to 35. We've observed the divine appointment side of this encounter, and we'll see more of it in verse 29, uh, as the Holy Spirit makes it clear to Philip what he must do. Go to that church, stay near it. But then I want you to observe it is, is the eager obedience of Philip to be used by God to spread the gospel of Jesus. Look at verse 30. The obedience. Philip ran up to the chariots, and as he's running along, what can he hear? The man's reading aloud. What's he reading? He's reading Isaiah the prophet. Who'd have thought that? Now observe with me that Philip didn't need any further prompting from the Spirit. He didn't uh, need to know, well, what do I do next, Lord? He didn't wait for something to happen. He initiated a conversation. Do you notice that as we read the text? John Chapman, who was an evangelist who's now gone to glory, he gave this advice regarding sharing Christ with people. To start talking about Jesus with someone, you have to first start talking to the person in the first place. Right? You're wondering, I'm thinking, how could I ever talk to that person about Jesus? Well, if you're not talking to them to begin with, it's not going to happen, is it? First step, initiate a conversation. It's not very Edinburgh. It's not. But pretend you're from Glasgow. <laughs> Morning! How are you? Start a conversation. I'd walk down the street with Chapo, and he would just be a friendly bloke. He would just chat to people as he went along the road. We just start conversations, see what would happen. If you don't start a conversation, you'll never start having a conversation about Jesus. And the amazing opportunity for Philip is that he comes across a man who is already reading God's word, Isaiah the prophet. How amazing is that? We don't get opportunities like that, do we? Do we? You could. Sunday by Sunday... 
there are always great opportunities in this building. Do you know that? One of the amazing things about Charlotte Chapel, uh, being a city center church, is that we have people who walk in off the street. We have people uh, who are checking out what Christianity is about. We have non-Christian people who turn up Sunday by Sunday. I'm amazed at the opportunities that we have in this church. Uh, when you come to church, don't just look to sit by your friends. Do you know what? God might want you to do a Philip thing. Um, when, I, when I come out here, the first person I'm looking for is my wife. She's never in church. I can see you there. I know. I can see you now. I still remember you're my wife. Don't worry. Well, she's often out on the, on the outreach table outside, to be fair, trying to punt people in the doors. And... Um, so I look to see where my wife is, and then I look to see who's sitting on their own, who I don't know. So I can go up, sit down, and have a chat with them. Isn't that right, Richard? That's right, yeah. And, uh, you know, you could do this. It's, it's, not, you know, it's not just pastors. You don't have to have a theology degree to do this. You could go up to someone, sit there. You could say, um, is this seat free? It's like you start having a conversation. Just sitting down to them is a bit awkward. Is this seat free? Uh, is it okay for me to sit here? Yes, that's fine. That's fine. Hello, my name's Paul. Now, if it's you, just use, use your name. <laughs> See, if Margaret does that, that's odd. Hello, my name's Paul. Oh, What's yours? How long have you been coming along to this church? That's a good, safe question, isn't it? Because they could say, I've been here for 30 years, son. Oh, great. First time to meet you. How long have you been coming here? Great to have you here. What made you come today? Why, why, why did you decide to come today? It's a good question, isn't it? And just have a normal conversation. See what the Lord does with it. And do you know what? At the end of the service, what would be an, an entirely appropriate question to ask? This person's coming off the street. They've just observed the whole service. They've heard the Bible being read. They've heard the Bible being preached. What would be a really appropriate question you could ask? Turn to the person next to you and sit, have, have a go. What would you ask? Go on. What would you ask? Together, what would you ask? What did you think? What did you think of the sermon? What did you think about what the Bible had to say? Now, would the... Now, that's an easy question here, isn't it? Walk up to a stranger on uh, Princess Street and ask that question. It's an odd question, isn't it? Odd. In here, entirely appropriate. You don't even have to run. <laughs> Philip had to run. Great opportunities. So look at what Philip does in verse 30. He asks a very polite but leading question. Do you understand what you're reading? You could ask that on a Sunday morning. Do you understand that Welsh bloke? Do you understand what he was saying? And look at the remarkable modesty of this Ethiopian in verse 31. Incredible, considering he's the Chancellor. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. And so we invite Philip to come up and sit with him. Now that's an amazing response from such a cultured and important official to frankly acknowledge his ignorance and to allow a stranger to, to teach him. But let's say you do have an opportunity to talk about your faith 
to someone who seems open and interested, what do you do? Get them into the scriptures. Why not start with the very passage that was just read and preached in church? That's exactly what Philip does here, doesn't he? He starts exactly where the Ethiopian was reading. Verse 32, the Ethiopian was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? Where's that from? It says in a footnote at the bottom of your Bible, it's Isaiah 53. Of all the passages, Bingo! It could have been Leviticus, couldn't it? It was Isaiah, it could have been Numbers. It was Isaiah 53 he was reading. Isn't it amazing what God does? And this is the moment that Philip has been waiting for. The big opportunity comes. What is it that you must do to be an effective witness to to Jesus Christ at this point? You've got to open your mouth and talk about Jesus. Right? Then Philip, verse 35, began with that very passage of Scripture. And he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip's prepared. He's good to go. And he's ready to share. He knows about the book of Isaiah. He knows about Isaiah 53. And he's ready to tell him how it points to Jesus. Could you do that? Are you ready? Are you prepared? If I, if I asked you to turn to the person next to you now and share the gospel, could you do it? Shall we try it? No, it's Edinburgh. That would make me very, very nervous, Paul. So we won't do that. Okay? But could you? If you're a Christian, and, you, and the answer is, oh, I'm not sure, Get it sorted. Get it sorted. Get clear. You can get clear. Wouldn't it be great if we could? Wouldn't it be great if we were ready? Maybe Philip started sharing how Isaiah was confronted by the Holy God in his call in Isaiah 6. Woe is me when he saw the holiness of God. His sin needed to be atoned for. Maybe uh, he understood from Isaiah and shared it with the Ethiopian that the problem for Israel was that its sin separated them from this holy God. It banished them into exile. But God had promised to restore them and forgive them through the suffering of his chosen servants. And that the one that the scripture was speaking of, the one who would be unjustly killed in the place of sinners, was Jesus of Nazareth. And he could have talked about the life of Jesus, his death and the resurrection of Jesus and that identified him as the Christ fulfilling the Old Testament promises that were written here sort of 700 plus years before and identifying him as the Son of God. You could do all of that from the Scriptures. And it's interesting to me that, uh, that as he shared the Gospel, he must have spoken about the importance of responding and of being baptized. And I wonder, as we share the gospel, do we talk about the importance of responding? You need to repent. You need to change direction. And you need to demonstrate that repentance through uh, a repentance of faith through baptism. Maybe uh, Philip was finishing off telling the Ethiopian of how Jesus had commanded his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he had commanded. And as they were talking about that point, uh, the Ethiopian notices a pool of water. 
And so he says, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Now, do you think it was just a small puddle that he sprinkled on him? Oh, read the text. I wouldn't, I mean, I'm not going to make a big deal about immersion, but they go into the water. They baptize. They come up out of the water. That sounds bigger than a puddle, doesn't it? And he gets baptized. Nothing hindered this man. He didn't need to wait for the church officials, didn't need to wait for the apostles to check it out. There's no opportunity to organize a special next church gathering. He simply gets in the pool with the driver of his chariot looking on, no doubt, and uh, he's, he's baptized. Now the apostle Paul received a vision of um, the risen Lord Jesus Christ in order to be converted. This Ethiopian is converted as he reads the scriptures, which are explained to him by a spirit-filled witness. And the result? Well, his sins were washed away through faith in Jesus, symbolized by this water baptism. His whole old life was gone. His new life with Jesus had begun. And what's the result? Well, look at verse 36 to 40. The result is spreading joy. Why should we invest time in being prepared to share the gospel with people? Why should we prayerfully go into the week ahead looking watchfully for opportunities to share Jesus Christ? Well, the answer is there at the end of verse 39. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. This was the best news he'd ever heard. He was thrilled. I wonder whether Philip had rolled the scroll on a little bit further to Isaiah 56. Keep your finger in Acts 7. Turn with me to Isaiah 56. Maybe this was a special source of joy for him. Isaiah 56. I'll give you a page number in a moment. Uh, Page 742 page 742 in the church bibles look at verse 3 Isaiah 56 verse 3 let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let not any eunuch complain I am only a dry tree for this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my sabbaths who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. The glorious pursuit of of Christian witness is to spread good news that transforms people's lives, leading people to rejoice in the glory of God. Because we know that God desires to reveal his glory to the nations. Uh, He's the sovereign God of Great Britain and Europe and Ethiopia. He longs 
that people would be reached with this good news. He desires that the nations would be glad as they see Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And all who come by faith to him will be allowed to enter into the assembly of the Lord, to be part of the people of God. And whatever physical circumstances may hold you back from seeming to live a fruitful life, coming to him, you will bear great and eternal fruit. You're welcome. No longer excluded. What a precious thing. I don't know whether you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to come into this joyful assembly. To, to enter into this kingdom, to know the joy of your sins being forgiven, of being right with God, of, of no longer being a foreigner and excluded, but be one who is accepted and welcomed into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And I'm just going to pray a prayer. Maybe you want to pray that with me. I'll pray it quietly. Uh, pray it, and you can pray it under your uh, breath quietly. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place on the cross and rising again on the third day. Today I realize that I need to be saved. Please forgive my sins. Today I realize you've brought me here to turn and put you first in my life, Jesus. Please give me the joy of your salvation. Thank you for hearing my prayer and making me your child. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, then please, uh, we'd love to help you uh, go on in your Christian life. And so please fill out one of these connect cards. Just uh, put... uh, that you've prayed that prayer, your name, and uh, some contact details.